All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sky High Sports and Entertainment. We have with us today Alex Kennedy, Chief Content Officer at Basketball News, one of the best sports journalists out there today, always providing amazing, in-depth, analytical content, greatly respected in the industry, got to teach us when I was at the sports business classroom, and uh, has interviewed people such as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bean Bryant. We're going to get into all of that today, all the current NBA. Alex, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. First of all, appreciate the kind words. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, man. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a while. I know we've been trying to make it happen, and I'm happy we were able to do so. So let's get uh, right into things here. I want to know, first of all, James Harden. He made some of the craziest comments we have ever heard, particularly in terms of being directed towards a general manager, calling Daryl Morehill higher, repeating it out loud. I mean, with his trade requests in the past, with just everything going on with him, uh, I'm very curious as to what you think of James Harden comments, just what your reaction is, and what will ultimately come of them? Where will he end up? Yeah, anytime your comments launch an NBA investigation, uh, you probably said something pretty crazy. So uh, I was really shocked that he said that on the record. You know, it's typically we'll see some of that stuff, you know, with anonymous sources or things like that. But for him to be at a basketball camp and just straight up double down on Daryl Morey's a liar, let me say it again. <laughs> he was very clear in how he feels. Um, and I think it's one, it, whenever you see these situations where a star wants out from a team, typically the team will do whatever they can to try to salvage the relationship. Um, it's pretty clear after seeing, Harden's take that even though he has history with Daryl Morey that uh, this probably can't be salvaged. Uh, I think uh, he spoke to a local reporter uh, in Houston uh, shortly after the interview and and Harden was asked that question. He said, you know, there's no he, he doesn't think it's they're able to salvage this. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what happens. Uh, you know, it's one thing for a front office member or a GM to threaten, hey, we're going to drag this thing out. We'll find you if you don't show up and I'm going to wait until I get a great offer. But Daryl Morey has actually done that with Ben Simmons. You know, they they were willing to basically wait this out until teams improve their offer. So Morey's fine sitting back finding Harden if he doesn't show up to camp and basically waiting until an offer improves. Uh, I don't think there's any reason for him to jump at one of these offers today if they aren't what, you know, near the asking price. Uh, So I would not be surprised if this thing drags out uh, for quite some time. Um, We had an article on basketball news as well uh, by Blake Stern, who does a salary cap and CBA breakdowns. And he also acknowledged that, uh, if Harden sits out, I believe it's more than 35 days in the regular season, then his contract will roll over. So it's not like he'll hit free agency next year. Basically, if he tries to sit out for a lengthy time in the regular season, he's going to be in the same situation all over again next year because oh he won't God. get the free agency. Yeah. So even if his plan is let me hold out all year, then I can be a free agent. Not only is that going to be super expensive with all the fines, but the CBA won't allow that. The Sixers have to say, okay, we feel that you've completed your contract and you can go be a free agent. And I can't imagine Daryl Morey and the Sixers would let him just sit out all year and then allow him to enter free agency. So Morey and the Sixers actually have a, a you know decent amount of power here, a decent amount of leverage. So, you know, while Harden wants to go to the Clippers, uh, you're starting to see reports that he'll expand his wish list. And I'm sure once we get in the season, a team that maybe is a contender and feels that they're one piece away, maybe they end up increasing their offer and going and making a run for James Harden. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see an end to this anytime soon. I could be wrong, but it seems like both sides are are being pretty stubborn here. So it might be a Ben Simmons situation all over again. 
Wow, that that's really good takes, really good analysis as always. Um, there's one thing in particular that you brought up that made me think of something I haven't thought of yet. When you said James Harden was talking to a reporter in Houston. I remember last season, there were all of these reports, Adrian Wojnarowski, James Harden might reunite with the Rockets, James Harden. That could be a really interesting and totally full circle win-win situation because Houston has a lot more assets uh, to offer than the Clippers there. I mean, I think him on the Clippers would be fascinating, but do you think that could be something we see? I don't know. I think that was a, a big rumor that was coming out, and I feel like a lot of that was probably from James Harden's camp just to try to get some leverage and and basically say, hey, the team with the most cap space wants us, and then they can you know turn around and, and try to use that uh, to get an offer elsewhere. It's possible he would have considered going back to Houston. You know, we've heard about the relationship with ownership there and, and how it was kind of his franchise. He was able to do whatever he wanted, basically. Um, So it may have been attractive at one point. But the fact that Houston kind of pivoted and went and signed Fred VanVleet, Dylan Brooks, and, and spent a lot of that money, I feel like they, you know, kind of moved on. I think that's one of the reasons why Harden chose to opt in versus, you know, hitting unrestricted free agency, because I think it was made clear to him and his camp that, you know, they're pivoting toward Van Vliet and some other options. So uh, it could have been interesting. You know, there was a lot of talk about that. Whenever I hear that many rumors at one point during the season or toward the end of the season, it almost felt inevitable. Like yeah. every single rumor about James Harden was that he was going to la uh, land in Houston. Um, so that was always very surprising to me. And I was always wondering, OK, who is leaking this? Where is this coming from? Uh, if I had to guess, it was probably Harden's camp. Uh, but yeah, the fact that Houston went and got Van Vliet, uh, I, I think that's probably why he opted in. So I'm not going to close the door on a possible Harden Houston reunion, you know, ever. It could absolutely happen. It seems like Harden loves Houston, loves ownership. Uh, he still has a ton of fans there. So it might happen in the future, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to be a great fit this time around, you know, as far as a trade partner. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's a, a great sound answer. And I was thinking that it could be really interesting and they want a better package and James Harden, because this is one of those situations where something is going to have to give. And I mean, if, if Maury actually holds out Harden, uh, it's going to be unprecedented player dissatisfaction playing out throughout a season, I think. So uh, James Harden, you know, obviously he's been a headache with a lot of trade rumors. He's also provided a lot of Hall of Fame quality basketball. And speaking of the Hall of Fame, uh, we just recently had an induction with Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, and Pau Gasol, which is a really interesting amalgamation of an era of basketball and unique players. Um, I personally think it's the third greatest Hall of Fame class of all time after MJ's class with Stockton and after the Kobe Bryant class with Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett, which I think is the greatest. Um, I'm curious where you think this class stands. We also had Greg Popovich in this class, can't forget that. Where this class stands and just anything that comes to mind with this group of Hall of Famers. Yeah, it's weird. This is like one of the first classes uh, or, you know, first couple of classes where I grew up watching these players. Yeah, and same here. A lot of them and things like that. So it's so strange. Usually you hear so about weird and it's people that are much older, but that's clearly us just getting older. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember watching like Dwayne Wade's first game. So to yeah. see him now in the Hall of Fame, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, as far as the where they kind of rank all time, I would say uh, top five. I, I think the ones that you mentioned, 2018, Michael Jordan, John Stockton, David Robinson, um, 2020, Kobe, Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan. Uh, there's two others that kind of stand out to me. Uh, 2016 was Yao, Shaq, and Allen Iverson. Yeah, that was a super fun one. 
And then 2018 was the first year where they changed the rules where uh, you could be inducted a year earlier. They kind of changed the eligibility or eligibility requirements. So 2018 had Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Mm -hmm. Ray Allen, Grant Hill, Maurice Cheeks. I mean, it was loaded, too. So I would say this one's top five, you know, somewhere in that you put that five in any order. For me, I'd probably say 2020 with Kobe, KG, and Doki, just because, again, I grew up watching those players. And, yeah, those are my guys, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, that's absolutely one of the top ones, in my opinion. Uh, to your point, MJ Robinson Stockton is incredible as well. But, yeah, those five would probably be my top five. But, I mean, you look at this class, so many great players that were able to win championships and yep. compete at a high level. You know, Define the eras. Uh, yeah, exactly. They define their eras. And it's not like they just had individual success. They also had the team success and the championships to back it up. So, yeah, it was an incredible class. You know, sometimes we'll see a class that has, you know, two or three huge names and then some other names included. But this one had a lot of depth, too. There's quite a few talented names. You know, it's kind of similar to that 2018 class we talked about with Kid Nash, Allen, Grant Hill. Like, there's quite a few talented players in this year's class and coaches, as you mentioned. So, yeah, yeah I would say it definitely is top five for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I think in particular, uh, that Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson year was unbelievable. I mean, theoretically, that should be like an easy top three. And that's just how good some of these uh, Hall of Fame classes have been. It was very nice to see Allen Iverson induct Dwayne Wade. And yeah, this was definitely the year where it was like, wait a second, these guys are Hall of Famers? Like, didn't yeah. Pau Gasol just, wasn't he just, you know, in the league still? And uh, and it's absolutely crazy. I think that one hit me the most, just Pau Gasol and Kobe Bryant, those teams I was in high school really really resonated with me Tony Parker was the final member of that Spurs big three that we all grew up with you know they won championships from 99 to 2014 and then Dwayne Wade absolutely iconic so representative of his era so influential and you always think of him as like you know the guy who won at a super young age so it's weird to see him in the Hall of Fame Uh, and then Dirk Nowitzki the guy he won against the guy who went up and beat him arguably the greatest shooting big man of all time a uh, really, really special class there uh, indeed. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I love how many international players in this was in this year's class too. And, yeah, and guys, three European, amazing. Yeah, and not only guys that, you know, did uh, really well for themselves in the NBA, but also guys that, you know, played extremely well on national teams. Um, mm-hmm. We're watching the World Cup right now. Obviously, you know, D-Wade, Gasol, Parker, Pop as a coach, you know, these, these are guys that have done it not only on the NBA stage, but also on the international stage as well. So, yeah, it was a very fun class. I thought, you know, First of all, I want to give uh, AI a shout out because I love, I tweeted this the other day, but I love how he is always praising younger players. You know, we see a lot of times these days that legends can come off as kind of cranky or they'll criticize today's players or today's game. But like every time I see AI and it's about a current player, whether it's D Wade, Steph Curry, John Moran, Isaiah Thomas, the younger Isaiah, like he was always giving players their flowers. And it just shows me that he's very secure in his legacy and doesn't feel like he has to pull others down to kind of build himself up. And I just think that's awesome. I wish there were more players like that who kind of spread that positivity about the game because, you know, a lot of the former players, I'm not sure if it's jealousy because of the salaries and, you know, the recognition that players get today uh, versus maybe what players were getting back in the day as far as the money and things like that. But you just see it often, you know, during broadcast on social media. Um, it's, it's interesting. So I, I definitely think it's cool of Iverson that he's always kind of praising today's players and, and building their confidence up. So I just wanted to throw that in there too. I think, uh, you know, he's, he seems like a great dude in addition to being a great player. And I, I love that he's always doing that for today's players. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Alan Iverson really influenced the culture and the way you're talking about it. And as you're talking about it, what I think it is, is I think the natural course of life is that people start saying back in my day. And I yeah. think the way to avoid that, and that's part of the reason I've always stayed in touch with basketball is to really stay in touch with like those things that make you who you are, or who did when you were a kid. And I think Alan Iverson for all, you know, his faults, whatever, has always stayed in touch with who he is and knows who he is. Whatever you want to say about Allen Iverson, he's true to himself and he knows who he is. And I think that's why that specific element is why he's so comfortable um, with today's game. And someone else who really uh, seems to know who they are in the NBA, the point where he always said he'd be loyal, but it was finally time, is uh, Mr. Dame Time, Damian Lillard. Uh, he requested a trade and is trying to get that done to the Miami Heat. It seems almost inevitable uh, overall, but obviously there's a lot of hold up. So I'm wondering on your end, if you think Damian Lillard will get to the Heat and how far a Miami Heat squad that Damian Lillard can go. Yeah, this situation is so interesting to me because uh, typically if you're talking about a, a franchise legend, you could make the argument. I think most people would agree that Dame's the best blazer in, in franchise history. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and, and probably the most beloved player in, in franchise history, maybe Brandon Roy, uh, you know, pushes for that title, but, you know, fans in Portland love him. And I think they, they agree that he kind of gave them plenty of time to build a team around him that could compete for a championship. And so usually in those situations, you see uh, a front office try to do right by that player and, and mm -hmm. send them somewhere they want. Um, but I, I would say they try to send them where they want if all things are equal or close to equal. But this Miami offer is considerably weaker than other offers that they could get from around the league. So Portland's front office is in a difficult spot because on one hand, Dame wants to be Miami. We know that his camp has made that abundantly clear um but you know the offer that they can get back unless they can get like a third team involved or something like that I, i'm just not sure it can really compete with what other teams would be willing to give up and i think that's tough about dame like i look back at some of these situations where a star player has requested a trade and kind of gives their wish list usually that player ha is in the final year of a contract or has a player option coming up dame has what four more years left on his contract so it's not like he has the leverage to be able to say you know if you don't trade me to my destination that i want that i'm going to opt out or i'm not going to re-sign with you guys like he's under contract for for quite some time we saw the same thing with kevin durant uh you know before the phoenix trade and he ultimately got his way ended up on the suns so it's interesting you know i, I see why portland fans would be like no wait this thing out wait till we get a better offer because you know, that Miami offered is nowhere near what we've seen other superstars get traded for in recent years. Um, but I also understand uh, Heat fans that are like, what other offers out there? Uh, yeah. He wants to be here. He's the best player in franchise history. So give him what he wants and trade him here. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn. I, I think he does eventually end up in Miami. Um, I, I And if that team lands Dame and, you know, still has all the key components. Yeah. Um, I think they could absolutely win a championship. You know, I've seen some people saying, oh, if Dame ends up in Miami, they're not going to be much better and things like that. And I just think that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, um, I agree. A trio of uh, Dame, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, plus the supporting cast that Miami has. And they always are so good at finding those hidden gem type players. You know, they would do a great job uh, filling that roster around 
uh, you know, that trio, finding more uh, guys from the G League, undrafted guys, late draft picks. Like, they're so good at finding those kind of players. Uh, they've always been able to do that. So I think they could absolutely compete for a championship. They'd be a, an amazing contender, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of does it get done and can they somehow sweeten the offer either by finding that third team or mm-hmm. or something? Because I do think that the teams are very far apart right now. Um and I'm curious to see how they can kind of get closer together. Um, or if Portland just says, we're not moving to Miami, we don't really care if if Dame's unhappy and tries to pivot to another team. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's not like a typical uh, superstar departure where uh, they can he can use his leverage to say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to resign or whatever. So I'm curious to see what happens. You know, I, I think it'll probably get done sooner than later. Like the Harden one, I could see that stretching out into the season and taking yeah. a long time. I can't imagine Portland would, you know, make Dame sit, you know, basically either sit out while they find a trade or have him return to the team and wait until the trade deadline in February or something like that. I think that one probably gets done first, but there are a lot of variables that are still up in the air. So we'll see. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, it's been a fascinating situation because I think fan wise, as far as global NBA fandom, I think it was the most amicable trade request in history uh, between fans of the game and a player. I think that everyone just knew Damian Lillard gave his heart and soul to Portland. And when they didn't trade that number three pick, it was an indication. And also when they shut him down early in the season, uh, well, he had his highest career scoring average, because when you have that competitive fire, like Dame, it's just like, unless the odds are 0%, they're, they're not going to be okay uh, with you pulling the plug early until those odds are 0%, even if they're 1%. You know, Damian Lillard reminds me so much of uh, Kobe Bryant in particular, mentality-wise, competitiveness. And so I just can't ever see players like that believing in anything like less than a 1% chance. Like if there is a 1% chance that they can win, you've got to keep it alive. So I think that was kind of the day it was done. I also think they can really win the championship. I think the Heat are missing consistent scoring. That is the main thing. And Stephen A. Smith said this thing, craziest thing I've ever heard, that Jimmy Butler was not a number one guy on a championship team. He said it during the finals. I was really upset about it. And then I started thinking, but what if they did have Dame and Jimmy was the number two and he wouldn't run out of gas? I thought that was uh, that was really, really interesting. So I think that they they're actually my prediction, because the way I make a prediction I'm going to ask you here is I predict based on assuming that everything I expect to happen in the offseason or seems likely will. So assuming that everything in the offseason goes the way that you expect it will. I want to hear a bit of sort of your NBA uh, preview here for the upcoming season on who you think will win the chip and MVP. I'm going to upset some people here, but and it might be a bit of a boring answer, but I think the Nuggets could absolutely repeat. Uh, wow. I, I love the way that this team is built. Um, right when they won the championship, I had tweeted out, um, you know, this team isn't going anywhere. Sure, we saw they lost uh, Bruce Brown, but they, they the rest of their core is still there, and they're under contract for several more years. And one advantage I think they have over a lot of other teams is just the continuity and chemistry. You know, I think that's one of the most underrated things in the NBA, especially in today's day and age where there's so much player movement. You know, a lot of times, let's say Miami gets Dame uh, or some other big trades go down. James Harden goes to the Clippers. Everyone falls in love with the uh, the newly acquired super teams, you know, the, the sex uh lineup that's brand new and i get that you know we did it with brooklyn with kd and and kyrie and james harden um we do it every offseason whenever you know teams uh land star players but 
chemistry and continuity is so important. And we've seen with that Denver Nuggets team, um, they just always know where the other people are going to be on the court. Uh, they work so well together. Shout out to the Nuggets front office for building a team that complements each other so well on both ends of the floor. So yeah, I, I could see Denver winning it all again. It's very hard to repeat, obviously, uh, just because the toll it takes in your body. That That's why, you know, LeBron James string of NBA finals appearances. It's always so crazy to me. And the Warriors too. I mean, it's not easy to do uh, because your body breaks down and uh, it's really tough. But this Nuggets team, I believe in their players. I believe in their coaching. Um, I love their chemistry. So I would say that they're my favorite at this point to win the championship. You know, the Phoenix Suns are interesting. I, I think yes. obviously everyone's going to talk about them after going out and adding Bradley Beal. And by the way, wouldn't it be fitting if after being linked all the time, Lillard and Beal, everyone's like, we, you know, wanting them to request a trade. Every fan base wanted them added onto their team for them to potentially be moved in the exact same offseason and giving their teams basically the same amount of time. It's pretty fitting. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very excited to watch Phoenix. I think Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, DeAndre Ayton. I mean, that's a really exciting team. I'm just kind of worried about their depth. I think they did a good job in free agency with the money they had, the limited resources they had, you know, filling out that roster around them. But I'm just not sure they can compete with uh, some of their teams that have some more depth. So I think the Western Conference is going to be a lot of fun uh, regardless. I'm really excited to see kind of all these teams battle it out. Um, the Eastern Conference, if I had to predict, I would probably say uh, Milwaukee comes out of the East. That's wow. my early prediction right now. Uh, I, I like that team quite a bit. Um, I, I think uh, we could see them take another step potentially uh, with the coaching change. So yeah, I think those are my two teams at the moment. And then for MVP, um, I think that people were just so – there was definitely a voter fatigue for Nikola Jokic. Um, I think he could have won it last year, but they just didn't want to keep giving this, the award over and over again. Uh, but if they're able – if the Nuggets are able to have the same kind of success they did this year, Jokic now with a ring can kind of have a similar type of season. We know he's so consistent. He's going to put up crazy numbers. Um, and I think one thing that helps him – is he doesn't have another superstar level player on his team. Like we, Jamal Murray's a star, but sometimes when like two superstars are teamed up, we've seen voters hold that against players in the past. Yeah. So Devin Booker and Kevin Durant cancel each other out. You know, in Miami, LeBron and D Wade cancel each other out for, you know, part of their stint together. Um, it happens sometimes. So I think Jokic would get all of the credit for Denver's success if they go win 55 games, 60 games, um, and he puts up the kind of crazy numbers that we know he will. So right now, I know it's not going out on a limb. I think he's the favorite in the odd, you know, from sports books to be the MVP. Um, so I'm not going out on a limb there, but I, I think he's probably the safest bet as of right now. No, those are those are fantastic picks, especially I think a lot of people are already counting the Nuggets out for a repeat um, just because they don't have that superstar uh, level power of some other teams like an L.A. Lakers with LeBron James. Um, but definitely could repeat Jamal Murray in particular uh, is just a killer. And me being Canadian myself, it was amazing to see him put on, you know, really by far the best NBA finals performance by a Canadian ever with Wiggins, you know, coming close, but that just shows the gap uh, of yeah. how good Murray was. Jokic is unlike anything we've ever really seen before. I mean, he's a combination of so many great players um, and it'll be really interesting to see. He definitely could win his third MVP this year based on voters, based on coming off of championship year. Um, could be very interesting for sure. And I think the other thing is, yeah, I think with Milwaukee, like Giannis is going to be back with a vengeance. And then I still would predict the Heat to take it all, assuming the Lillard trade goes through. 
Right, um, sure. And then with the Nuggets, though, you know, they definitely could win the West again because other than Phoenix, who it's going to be interesting to see how that comes together. And it would be fun to see KD win, uh, you know, I guess it's a super team again, but still that Golden State Warriors team was the super team. So it'd be yeah. nice to see him win on a slightly lesser team. Um, but one thing with the Nuggets is that the West is not as strong as it's been throughout our lifetime. But one time when it was as strong was the 1980s when the Showtime Lakers played. As we move into the entertainment portion of our show today, I got to ask you, Alex, about uh, winning time. We were talking a bit before this about the fact that you helped them cast Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in a way. So I would love to hear uh, that story and how it came to be. Yeah, it's a very weird story. I'm not involved in the entertainment world at all. Uh, but one day when I was working at USA Today Sports, uh, I got an email from a casting director and they said, hey, we're working on this Lakers show. We're trying to find someone to play Kareem. Uh, and I, I didn't think it was real at first, but I responded to them and they said they were going to pro-ams in Los Angeles, New York. Uh, they're basically just trying to find someone tall. That was the requirement. They said they don't have to be able to act. They don't have to have acting experience. They just have to be tall and then we'll kind of teach them to act and work on their acting with them. And so they they saw that I interviewed a lot of players. They saw that I had uh, interviewed Kareem on my podcast. And so they basically said, are there any players or people you know that could be a good fit for the Kareem role? Um, and I thought it was so strange that they reached out. Yeah, I didn't think it was real at first, but I ended up talking to a few different players and a, a number of them sent in uh, basically tapes uh, where they auditioned for the role. Um, and then one of the players uh, that I was talking to and trying to, he was kind of helping me figure out who could be a good fit was uh, Francisco Elson. And he played uh, college ball with um, uh, the guy that ended up being cast as Kareem. I forget his name on top of my head, but Solomon um, Hughes. Solomon, yeah, yeah, Solomon Hughes. Yeah. yeah. They played college ball together. And so I passed his name on uh, to the casting director and he sent a tape in and sure enough, he got cast. So yeah, that was kind of a, a cool story. Um, uh, you know, being able to watch the show wow. now and, and he's fantastic to, to see amazing. that he never had. Yeah. And he never had acting experience and literally they just want someone that could look the part of Kareem, you know, with goggles and the height and everything. Yeah. And then they worked with them. I mean, credit to them for being able to, uh, work with them and, and obviously the work that he put in as well. Um, but it's it's pretty crazy that they basically were just showing up pro-ams and couldn't find anyone. Uh, but then when they kind of pivoted over to, they were looking at like former NBA centers, former college centers, because the height was the biggest thing. You don't want someone out there that's supposed to play Kareem and they're they're super short. Um, so once they kind of had him, uh, they they coached him up and, and he's been fantastic. So I, I really love the show. I think they've done a great job. Uh, the book that it's based on by Jeff Perlman uh, is one of my favorite books ever. He's my favorite author. I think yeah, he's fantastic. Um, you know, his story, he, he has the ability to just get such detailed, never before uh, heard anecdotes. Um, like that book, the book he wrote about the Dallas Cowboys is incredible. Uh, his USFL book is incredible. The anecdotes that he's able to pull out of these players and executives and coaches it's just phenomenal. So if you haven't seen uh, Winning Time, I would definitely recommend it. It's a great show. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was cool to play the tiniest little part in helping them find their Kareem. Uh, you know, I didn't have a big role in it, but it was cool to see it all come together. And yeah. Kind of see how the sausage is made with the TV show. A hundred percent. That is such an amazing story um, because in particular, I think Solomon Hughes as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he really matches that, that stoicism that Kareem is known for. And I think that's really impressive. Obviously they, they say on the show all the time, it's a dramatization. So, yeah. you know, there's some things in there that are um, a little bit different than, than real life, but you know, that's part of what works so well 
uh, with the show, what makes it so interesting, I think the last episode I saw um, that they just aired showing a bit of Larry Bird's history was one of the best because it was almost like watching the the heroes and the villains and separate storylines and uh, and really, really well done for sure. And uh, they also played a song there called uh, Hello There by Cheap Trick. And I just covered the Cheap Trick concert yesterday. So that was a cool bit of serendipity for me. Worlds sure. are colliding. It was, unbe- it was unbelievable. No way I ever expected to see Cheap Trick in anything <laughs> basketball related. Literally last night, right before this interview, uh, it was absolutely crazy. Crazy. So speaking of uh, Solomon Hughes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which I think is one of the coolest things ever. Um, the first published article I ever did was a review of his book, Coach Wooden and Me, uh, exploring their multi-decade friendship. So Kareem means a lot to me in that way. How did that come together and what was that experience like? Yeah, so it was when the All-Star Weekend was in Charlotte, um, and I had been communicating with the Retired Players Association about, you know, covering an event they do every year at All-Star Weekend where they have like a a brunch and then all the retired players get together to meet um, and kind of hang out. And they asked me if I wanted to go interview some retired players, and they sent over a list of people that were going to be there, and Kareem was one of the people. And they basically said, who from this list would you want to interview? And I said, absolutely, Kareem. Uh, Yeah, no brainer. Yeah, yeah. I th- I threw out a few other names, too, just because, you know, they weren't positive they'd be able to get each of the people. Yeah. So they, I kind of cast a wide net, but Kareem was number one on the list. And then and were you I got with there, Hoopsite at this time? Yep, I was with Hoopsite. Nice. It was for uh, the Hoopsite podcast. And so I, I went, my producer met me there, uh, and we basically set up, and we didn't know who we were going to get. You know, we had our wish list, and Kareem was number one, but they basically just bring people into the room. And it was like myself, Howard Beck had a station, Barstool Sports had a, a station and it's like three or four different stations and they kind of walked the players around. Um, and so Kareem was the first one that came out and they gave me like 35, 40 minutes with him. And he was fantastic. I mean, I had done a bunch of research and prepped questions and asked him about, you know, not only his basketball career, but also, you know, he had become a writer on the show Veronica mm-hmm. Mars. And, you know, he obviously has done a great job with his, his novel, his books and uh, articles he's written. So we kind of talked about his whole life and it was just awesome to chat with him going into it i had heard that he could be really grumpy and he doesn't you know he's not the easiest person to interview so i was anxious going into it to be honest but he could not have been nicer um i think he appreciated the fact that um i think he's used to going into interviews with a younger person and they either don't know anything about him or they ask super generic questions and it's clear they haven't really done their research or he's asked the same questions over and over again um like at that time it was what, what how would you feel if lebron passed you you know yeah of course you know things like that i think he's always asked so he can get you know get a bit grumpy or uh you know have a generic response but i asked him some really detailed questions and he seemed to respond to it uh he was super friendly gave me extra time than i was supposed to be allotted um so yeah i think that's my favorite interview i've done just because not only is it kareem a lot of my interviews have been like this over zoom but because that one was in person that had a special you know that kind of added to it as well um so that's my favorite one and then i'd say that's 1a 1b would be interviewing kobe bryant on that same podcast uh that one came together that was crazy he followed me on twitter out of nowhere and wow uh, so i dm'd him i saw that he had followed myself and like three or four other basketball journalists. Oh and my so my God. thought was, 
my thought was like, why is he following journalists? Maybe he wants to promote something. And so I DM'd him and I said, hey, thanks so much for the follow, blah, blah, blah. And I saw that same day they had put a press release out for that show detail that came out on ESPN. Oh, amazing. Like, he probably wants to promote his show. So I DM'd him and said, I'd love to have you on my podcast. We could talk about detail and kind of your post-NBA life career and so he said yeah let's do it just reach out to my pr person uh he came on gave me 30 minutes uh was fantastic i mean super friendly i interviewed him once before one-on-one when i was 16 years old uh wow yeah i had reached out to his pr person and i just kept emailing them and and probably being really annoying looking back (laughs) but i basically was trying to just get any time i could with him and they said, hey, he's coming through Orlando for this community event. You can show up. We'll give you five minutes with him. And so I was this little 16-year-old kid. And, you know, he was, I think he was doing it to be nice because I was a kid. Um, but he was really friendly. And, and I talked to him for about five minutes. And then years later, when I interviewed him, uh, you know, I think it was 2019, 2018. Years later, when we did the interview for Hoops Hype, uh, he remembered that from back then. It was so Oh, cool. no way. Yeah, so it was it was a really cool experience. I'm I'm really glad that I got to interview him twice. But those ones, I mean, when you interview Kobe, Kareem, Tracy McGrady was another one. You know, oh no way, T Mac, that's sick. Yeah, I grew up in Orlando, and I mean, he was like one of my favorite players, one of the guys that made me fall in love with basketball. You know, those were kind of like pinch me moments. Like, am I really talking one on one to Kareem, Kobe, T Mac? Like, those are the ones that still kind of feel surreal to me. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that's incredible. And one other guy who who wasn't on that list uh, was Michael Jordan. And a movie uh, that came up about him recently uh, was Air. So, you know, I know that you really like that movie and I really loved it too. And um, I would definitely love to to hear about that. But I do just want to say one more time before that, how cool that is that you got to interview Kobe Bryant and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I've never been able to interview MJ. That would be awesome. You know, I've been, I've, I've seen him and, you know, interacted with him briefly, like when he was in Orlando for a, a Hornets game or oh, wow. things like that. But I've never been able to sit down with him and talk to him for 30 minutes and pick his brain. Um, that's one that would be really, really cool. But yeah, I love that the movie air. I think they did a phenomenal job. Um, we we tend to forget that Nike at one point was this underdog and uh, now obviously biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world. But uh, I watched that with some friends of mine who didn't really know the backstory of the Jordan brand and, and you know, how Nike kind of rose to power, essentially. So it was kind of cool to see that company in, in its uh, infancy. The cast was amazing. I mean, yeah, so many- Yeah, Matt Damon things. was unbelievable. Ben yeah, Affleck. Ben Affleck, Jason Bateman, uh, Chris yeah. Tucker. I mean, I was I was yeah. blown away. A phenomenal- Viola Davis. You know, what yeah. other movie are you naming Viola Davis as like the fifth person that pops in your head? I mean, Crazy. it was- Uh, Um, they did an amazing job with it. Um, and I've met a few people who have a similar job working for one of these sneaker brands and their job is to basically recruit players to their brand. Like I know one person from Puma, one person from Under Armour, and it is an interesting job where they're going, traveling the country, you know, scouting people. It's very similar to like an NBA scout. Um, then during the pre-draft process, they're in all these different gyms where guys are training and, you know, bringing shoes. They let the guy try on. And yeah, they basically their whole job is trying to get them to fall in love with the shoe. So I thought it was really interesting to kind of see behind the scenes of that uh, in the movie. And it felt like it was very accurate too. I mean, sometimes yeah. these movies uh, take a few liberties, but that felt very accurate. Uh, Sonny's obviously... Uh, a, a legend in that space not only did he kind of discover jordan and, and really put his you know put his flag down uh also kobe bryant 
LeBron James. He was yeah. instrumental in their up, you know, their rise to fame as well. So Amazing. yeah, it was a fantastic movie. I really loved it. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think really it was uh, one of the best of the years and hopefully the Academy doesn't forget about it when time rolls on. I thought in per- the writing was really sharp. The directing was great. Uh, you know, not showing Michael Jordan, just the back of his head, keeping up that mysterious air. Um, and then also, I, yeah, I just really thought Matt Damon's performance was was outstanding, like one of his career best, um, the optimism, the drive, and sort of being like that, that little kid, you know, like he was obviously the older guy in the room recruiting the player, uh, but he had the spirit of a little kid. And I think that really shone through uh, in the movie. So I got about two questions left here. Uh, since we're going a bit more left field here, I did want to ask you, we were talking a bit before I covered Ted Lasso every week. It was going on uh, on this podcast. I know you're a big fan of the show too. Uh, obviously it's over now. And I just wanted you to ask, to ask, you know, what you thought of the final season and what's going to stick with you from that show. Okay. So going in, I wasn't sure how I'd feel about it. Cause I'm not a big soccer fan, but I love Jason Sudeikis. I love Bill Lawrence. You know, I used to watch scrubs all the time. So I gave it a chance and I ended up falling in love with it. That first season was so wholesome. There's times when you're laughing, yeah. times when you're tearing up, like they did a phenomenal job. The cast was great. The writing was great. It was so funny and well done. I will say as it got uh, to season three, I feel like the vibe changed quite a bit. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but yeah, it just seemed like they had a different, tone um and i've heard it wasn't as consistent like it kind of like by the end they found their footing that there was two episodes left yeah exactly and i really hope there's a spinoff um i know they kind of set that up with you know they they could basically have a team now with Roy and Nate and Beard basically running it without Ted Lasso i think that would be a really cool spinoff um I, i don't know if that's a you know being planned or anything like that but i had read rumors about that i think that would be awesome i I just love the characters and one thing i told people it's it's a really interesting look at you know running a sports organization because you think about it as just a silly comedy but they do a good job of kind of representing uh the dynamics between players uh the relationship between coach and and you know not only relationship between different coaches but also the coach and his players you know the pr team and the front office and obviously there's certain things that are played for laughs and it's a little bit uh goofy but it's a really interesting look at a franchise and kind of how they become a family so i i really enjoyed it um i thought it was really really well done um and yeah i, I really hope there's a spinoff because you know i fell in love with a lot of those characters uh in the show and i think even if it's just like a a short movie or something i would just love to see more uh, from that universe basically yeah I, i couldn't agree with you more it was an absolutely amazing show uh, definitely one like the bet one of the best of the decade that in succession really and uh very uplifting very hopeful also just one of the best looks at sports i've ever seen the way they talk about sports turning regular people into heroes and villains uplifting yeah. entire societies um i think that passion really shone through i like that they had the little triangle offering uh offense reference yeah. too that was fun to see a little basketball uh shout out there and uh yeah hopefully there'll be some more i'd like to see a little bit more more Ted I think seeing him coaching his kid was very full circle but what actually happened to his life that was the one thing missing from the finale for me as we wrap up here today Alex I did want to ask you one last question which is what would you say is the most important lesson that you have learned in your life and career wow so far yeah I think the most important thing 
early on in my career, someone told me be as versatile as possible. And I think that was something that I really took to heart because entering this industry, I just wanted to be a writer. I never thought I'd be doing a podcast or being on camera or shooting videos or anything like that. I just loved writing and watching games. Um, But I remember early on in my career, uh, this, this makes me sound really old. When I was covering my first games, the newspaper writers were being told, hey, you need to start blogging on the website. And the, the writers were so upset. They're like, we're not internet writers, we're newspaper writers. And at the time it was so, you know, they couldn't even fathom writing for a blog and writing for the newspaper. Uh, nowadays, if you're a sports journalist, you know, you're on camera, you're shooting video, you're doing social media, you're obviously writing, podcasting. There's so many different things that come with that. Um, so that kind of became my goal. Uh, a mentor years ago, uh, Steve Kyler told me be as versatile as possible. And so I really tried to do that. So, you know, I started out as a writer, I became an editor, and now I have 14 years of editing experience. I hosted a radio show in Tampa for, you know, four or five years. I started my own podcast. I started doing stuff that was on camera. Um, and I started shooting and editing my own videos as well. So I basically realized if you want to have, uh, if you want to turn this into a career and, and have it be your full time job where you make a living, you have to be able to offer value to companies in many different ways. You know, it's really hard these days to say, I'm just a writer, pay me enough for me to get by. Um, you know, you're not going to really be able to make the money you want to make if you're just writing most of the time. I mean, there's obviously exceptions out there, uh, but it's really tough to kind of do that. But if you come to them and you can be a writer, an on-air personality, a video editor, a copy editor, uh, all these things, then it's easier for you to kind of find that full-time role. So I think that would be the biggest thing that I learned. The other thing too, is just don't be afraid of rejection. Um, mm, that's something that I got past, yeah, I got past that at a very young age. Again, I was the kind of person that would reach out to Kobe Bryant's PR person repeatedly. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of no's. Uh, same thing with how I got my first credential. I was 14 years old and I reached out to the Orlando Magic and said, hey, can I come cover a game, uh, a practice? They said, sure, you can come cover a game. I basically told them, I want to see if this is something that I love and if it could be a career path for me. And they let me come cover a game. So you're going to hear a lot of no's throughout your career. But for every 50 no's, you're going to get one really valuable yes that takes your career to the next level. You know, had I never reached out to the Orlando Magic because I was scared of rejection, I don't get my foot in the door and get a few years of experience, you know, before I reached college covering games, interviewing athletes. Had I not reached out to some players, I probably would have never been able to interview Kobe, Tracy McGrady, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. So I think you put yourself out there and not really be afraid of rejection. And it's easier said than done. You know, in the beginning, I was afraid of rejection as well. You know, I think everyone is to an extent, but if you're in this job, I think you have to get past that. Uh, and the more you do it, the easier it'll be to kind of move past that and, and no longer be afraid of rejection. But those are the two things that kind of stand out to me. I couldn't think of a better way uh, to end this off, Alex. Thank you so, so much for sharing all of your insights uh, into basketball, into what you've learned and how you found yourself into a great career, uh, done some pretty cool things. Great to talk some sports and entertainment with you as well. That's one of my favorite things about this podcast is that, you know, we're not, we don't fit into a single box. We like basketball, but we also like movies and TV and it's nice to uh, get to talk about all of it. But thank you so much again. But before you get out of here, uh, you got to give yourself a plug tell everyone where they can find you on social media your content and uh yeah whatever else you want to talk about about what you're up to and where people can find you yes follow me at uh at, sorry follow me at alex kennedy nba on twitter uh i think i'm gonna be launching a new show pretty soon it's a 
live stream slash podcast type show. So if you're interested in that, we're going to cover basketball, football, do a bunch of interviews with some big name athletes, celebrities, media analysts. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, definitely follow me on Twitter. I'll be, uh, it'll be on my Twitter account. We're live streaming it on Twitter and then also on YouTube. So follow me for that. And uh, hopefully that show starts here in the next few weeks. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Sky High Sports and Entertainment.